Chapter six of Jeremy and Hamlet by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six The Night Raiders. One. It will be always difficult to understand what drove Jeremy into this adventure that on the very last night but one of his christmas holidays when he had every good reason for placating the powers and when he did of his own nature desire that he should leave everything behind him in the odour of sanctity that at such a time he should take so wild and unnecessary a risk will always and forever be a deep mystery the end of these holidays he especially desired to clothe in tranquillity because of the painful manner in which they had begun he really did wish to live at peace with his fellow-men and especially with his mother and father his mother was easy but his father how were they ever to see the same way about anything and yet he detected in himself a strange pathetic desire to be liked by his father and himself to like in return had he only known it his father felt precisely the same towards himself but the gulf of two generations was between them indeed on that very morning mr cole had had a conversation with his brother-in-law samuel about his son jeremy mr cole was never at ease with his brother-in-law he distrusted artists in general his idea was that they were wasting the time that god had given them and he distrusted his brother-in-law in particular because he thought that he often laughed at him which indeed he often did i'm unhappy about jeremy he said looking at samuel's blue smock with dissatisfaction he did wish that samuel wouldn't wear his painting clothes at breakfast time why asked samuel i don't think the boy's improving school seems to be doing him no good take him away then said samuel really said mr cole i wish you wouldn't joke about these things he must go to school send him to another school if this one isn't satisfactory no thompson's is a good school i'm afraid it's in the boy not the school that the fault lies samuel trefusis said nothing well don't you see what i mean about the boy mr cole asked irritably no i don't i think the boy perfectly delightful i don't as a rule like boys in fact i detest them i've come slowly to jeremy but now i'm quite conquered by him he's a baby in many ways still of course but he has extraordinary perceptions is brave honest amusing and delightful to look at honest said mr cole gloomily that's just what i'm not sure about that affair of the money at the beginning of the holidays really herbert samuel broke in indignantly if you'll allow me to say so and even if you won't you were wrong in that affair from first to last you never gave the boy a chance you concluded he was guilty from the first moment the boy thought he had a right to the money you bullied and scolded him until he was terrified and then wanted him to apologize twenty years from now parents will have learnt something about their children the children are going to teach them your one idea of bringing up jeremy is to forbid him to do everything that his natural instincts urge him to do he is a perfectly healthy affectionate decent boy he'll do you credit but it won't be your merit if he does it will be in spite of what you've done not because of it mr cole was deeply shocked 
really samuel this is going too far as you've challenged me i may say that i've noticed and amy also has noticed that you're doing the boy no good by petting him as you are it's largely because you are always inviting the boy into that studio of yours and encouraging him in the strangest ideas that he has grown as independent as he has i don't think you're a wholesome influence for the boy i don't indeed samuel's face closed like a box he was very angry he would have liked as he would have liked on many other occasions to say very well then i leave your house in the next five minutes but he was lazy had very little money and adored the town so he simply shrugged his shoulders you can forbid him to speak to me if you like he said mr cole was afraid of his brother-in-law so all he said was i shall write to thompson about him Two. meanwhile this awful adventure had suddenly leaped up in front of jeremy like a jack-in-the-box like many of the most daring adventures its origin was simple four days earlier there had been a children's afternoon party at the dean's the dean's children's parties were always dreary affairs because of mrs dean's neuralgia and because the dean thought that his share of the affair was over when he had poked his head into the room where they were having tea patted one or two innocents on the head they became instantly white with self-consciousness and then said in a loud generous voice well my friends enjoying yourselves that's right after which he returned to his study the result of this was that his guests were as sheep without a shepherd the dean's children were too young to do much and the girl's governess too deeply agitated by her fancy that children's parents were staring at her arrogantly to pull herself together and be amiable it was during one of those catch-as-catch-can intervals when children were desultorily wandering boys sticking pins into stout feminine calves girls sniggering in secret conclave together infants howling to be taken home that jeremy overheard bill bartlett say to the dean's earnest i dare you jeremy pricked up his ears at once anything in which the dean's earnest his foe of foes was concerned incited him to rivalry he was terribly bored by the party not only was it a bad dull party but ever since his first real evening ball children's afternoon parties had seemed to him stupid and without reason i don't care said the dean's earnest i dare you repeated bill bartlett i'm not frightened said ernest then do it said bill you've got to come too pooh said bill that's nothing i've done lots more than that ernest quite plainly disliked the prospect of his daring and catching sight of jeremy he shifted his ground young cole wouldn't dare he said yes he would said bartlett he dares more than you dare no he doesn't said the dean's ernest indignantly yes he does you dare more than samson dares don't you cole said bill of course i do said jeremy without a moment's hesitation well do it then said the dean's earnest swiftly it appeared on further examination that bartlett had dared young sampson to walk round the cathedral twice just as the clocks were striking midnight it was obvious at once that this involved quite terrifying dangers 
apart altogether from the ghostly prospect of walking round the cathedral at midnight there was the escape from the house the danger of the police and the return to the house jeremy saw at once all that was involved but because the dean's earnest was there and staring at him from under his pale eyebrows with arrogant contempt he said at once i dare tommy winchester who was complaining bitterly about the food provided was soon drawn into the challenge and although his stout cheeks quivered at the prospect major winchester his father was the sternest of disciplinarians he had to say i dare details were then settled it was to be three nights from that day they were to meet just outside the west door as the clock struck twelve to walk or run twice around the cathedral and then find their way home again i bet young cole doesn't come jeremy heard ernest say loudly to bill as they parted of course after that he would go but when he reached home and considered it he was miserable to end the holidays with such a risk truly appalled him from every point of view it was madness even though he escaped through the pantry window he knew that he could push up the catch and then drop into the garden without difficulty there was all the danger of his absence being discovered while he was away then there was the peril of a policeman finding them and reporting them then there was the return with the climb back into the pantry and the noisy crawl you never knew when a board was going to creak back into his room again he had no illusion at all as to what would happen if his father caught him that would simply sign and seal his disgrace once and forever but worse far worse to him was what uncle samuel would feel uncle samuel had simply been wonderful to him during these holidays he adored uncle samuel uncle samuel had as it were banked on his honour and integrity when all the rest of the world doubted it uncle samuel loved him and believed in him he had a momentary passionate impulse to go to uncle samuel and tell him everything but he knew what the consequence of that must be uncle samuel would persuade him not to go would indeed make him give his word that he would not go then forever would he be disgraced in the eyes of bill bartlett tommy winchester and the others and the dean's earnest would certainly never allow him to hear the last of it it was possible that the others would fail at the final moment and would not be there but he must be there yes he must he must even though death and torture awaited him as the consequence of his going had he not trusted bartlett he might have thought the whole thing a plot on the part of the dean's earnest to put him into a dangerous position but bartlett was a friend of his and the challenge was genuine as the dreadful hour approached he became more and more miserable everyone noticed his depression and thought it was because he was going back to school aunt amy was quite touched never mind jeremy dear she said it will soon be over the weeks will pass and then you will be home with us again it won't seem so bad when you're there he said no aunt amy quite mildly one of the worst things was deceiving his mother she had not played so great a part in his life since his going to school but she was always there quiet and sensible and kind helping him about his clothes soothing him when he was angry understanding him when he was sad laughing with him when he was happy 
comfortable and consoling always like uncle samuel believing in him he remembered still with the utmost vividness the terror that he had been in two years ago when she had nearly died just after barbara's arrival because she was so safely there he did not think much about her but when a crisis came when things were difficult at school she was always the first person who came to his mind the evening arrived and as he went up to bed his teeth positively chattered it seemed a fine night but very dark he thought as he looked out through the landing window hamlet gaily followed him upstairs he was only now recovering from the terrific fight that he had had a week or so ago with the poodle and one of his ears was still badly torn and he limped a little on one foot nevertheless he was in high spirits and gambled all the way up the stairs suddenly stopping to bark under the landing window as he always did when he was in high spirits chasing an imaginary piece of paper all the way up the last flight of stairs and pausing outside jeremy's bedroom door panting and heaving his tongue hanging out and a wicked look of pleasure in his sparkling eyes here indeed was a new problem hamlet what would happen if he suddenly awoke discovered his master's absence and began to bark or suppose that he awoke when jeremy was leaving his room and determined to follow him jeremy at these thoughts felt his spirits sink even lower than they had been before how could he in this thing escape disaster he was like a man doomed he hated the dean's earnest at that moment with a passion that had very little of the child in it he took off his coat and trousers and climbed into bed hamlet jumped up moved round and round for some moments scratching and sniffing as he always did until he found a place to his mind then with a little contented sigh curled up and went to sleep jeremy lay there with beating heart he heard half-past nine strike from st john's then ten then half-past for a little while he slept then awoke with a start to hear it strike eleven no sound in the house save hamlet's regular snores a new figure leapt in front of him the policeman a terrible giant of a man with a great stick and a huge lantern what are you doing here little boy he cried to come with me to the police station jeremy shivered beneath the bedclothes perspiration beaded his forehead and his legs gave curious little jerks from the knees downwards as though they had a life of their own with which he had nothing to do half past eleven struck very carefully he got out of bed watching hamlet out of the corner of his eye put on his coat his trousers and his boots stole to the door and paused hamlet was still snoring peacefully he crept out then remembered that to do this properly one must take off one's boots and carry them in one's hand too late now for that downstairs he went at every creak he paused the house was like a closed box around him from some room far away came loud impatient snores once he stumbled and nearly fell he stayed there his hands on the banisters a dead man save for the beating of his heart his hand was on the pantry window he had pushed back the catch climbed through and in another moment was in the garden three 
it was a very dark night the garden gate creaked behind him as though accusing him of his wicked act the darkness was so thick that you had to push against it as though it were a wall at first he ran then the whole world seemed to run after him trees houses and all so he stopped and walked slowly the world seemed gigantic he was not as yet conscious of fear but only suspicious of the presence of that gigantic policeman taking step with him inch by inch flicking his dark lantern now here now there rising like a jack-in-the-box suddenly above the trees and peering down upon him then when for the moment he left the houses behind him and began to walk up green lane towards the cathedral his heart failed him how horrible the trees were all shapes and sizes towers of castles masts of ships animals pigs and hens and lions blowing a little in the night breezes becking and bowing above him holding out horrible long skinny fingers towards him sometimes closing in upon him then moving fan-wise out again in fact he was now completely miserable with the dreadful finality of childhood he saw himself as condemned for life by this time hamlet having discovered his absence had barked the house awake already perhaps with lanterns they had started to search for him the awful moment of discovery would come even uncle samuel would abandon him nobody would ever be kind to him again at this point it was all he could do to keep back the tears his teeth were chattering he had a crick in his back he was very cold the heel of one shoe rubbed his foot and he was frightened bet your life but he was frightened he hadn't known that it would be like this so silent and yet so full of sound so dark and yet so light and alive with strange quivering lights so cold and yet so warm with an odd pressing heat there were no lamps lit in the town below him all lights out at ten o'clock in the polchester of thirty years ago and the cathedral loomed up before him a heavy black mass threatening to fall upon him like the mountain in the bible now the trees were coming to an end here was a house and there another a light in one window but for the rest the houses quite dead like coffins he came into bodger street past the funny old-fashioned turnstile that led into cannon's yard over the cobblestones of that ancient square through the turnstile at the other end and into the precincts he was there shivering and frightened but there he had kept his word as he crossed the grass a figure moved forward from the shadow of the cathedral and came to meet him it was tommy winchester it immensely cheered jeremy to see him it also cheered him to see that if he was frightened tommy was a great deal more so tommy's teeth were chattering so that he could scarcely speak but he managed to say that it was beastly cold and that he had upset a jug of water getting out of his bedroom and that a dog had barked at him all the way along the precincts and that he was sure his father would beat him they were joined a moment later by another shivering mortal bartlett a more unhappy trio never met together in the world's history 
they were too miserable for conversation but simply stood huddled together under the great buttress by the west door and waited for the clock to strike the only thing that bartlett said was i bet samson doesn't come at that jeremy's heart gave a triumphant leap how splendid it would be if the dean's ernest funked it of course he would funk it and would have some long story about his door being closed or having a headache some lie or other nevertheless they strained their eyes across the dark wavering lake of the precincts watching for him i'm so cold tommy said through his chattering teeth then suddenly as though struck by a gun i'm going to sneeze and he did sneeze an awful shattering devastating sound with which the cathedral and indeed the whole town seemed to shake that was an awful moment the boys stood holding their breath waiting for all the black houses to open their doors and all the townsmen to turn out in their night-shirts with lanterns just as they do in the meistersinger although that of course the boys did not know crying who's that who sneezed where did the sneeze come from what was that sneeze nothing happened save that the silence was more awful than before then there was a kind of whirring noise above their heads a moment's pause and the great cathedral clock began to strike midnight now said bartlett we've got to walk or run around the cathedral twice he was off and tommy and jeremy after him jeremy was a good runner but this was like no race that he had ever engaged in before as he ran the notes boomed out above his head and the high shadow of the great building seemed to catch his feet and hold him he could not see and as before when he ran the rest of the world seemed to run with him so that he was always pausing to hear whether any one were moving with him or no then quite suddenly he was alone and frightened as he had never in his life been before no not when the horrible sea captain had woken him in the middle of the night not when he thought that god had killed hamlet not when he had first been tossed in a blanket at thompson's not when he had first played second half in a real game and had to lie down and let ten boys kick the ball from under him his body was turned to water he could not move the shadows were so vast around him the ground wavered beneath his feet the trees on the slopes below the cathedral all nodded as though they knew that terrible things would soon happen to him and there was no sound anywhere what he wanted was to creep close to the cathedral clutch the stone walls and stay there that was what he nearly did and if he had done it he would have been there i believe until this very day then he remembered the dean's earnest who had been too frightened to come he remembered that he had been dared to run around the cathedral twice and that he had only as yet run half round it once his stockings were down over his ankles both his boots now hurt him he had lost his cap he summoned all the pluck that there was in his soul and body combined and ran on when he had finished his first round and was back by the west door again there was no sign of the other two boys he paused desperately for breath then as though pursued by all the evil spirits of the night started again 
this time it did not seem so long he shut his ears to all possible sound refused to think and the physical pain of the stitch in his side and his two rubbed heels kept him from grosser fear then just as he completed the second round the most awful thing happened a figure an enormous figure it seemed to poor jeremy rose out of the ground a figure with flapping wings a great light was flashed in the air a strange high voice screamed aloud the figure moved towards him that was enough for his courage as though death itself were behind him he took to his heels tore across the grass plunged through the stile into parson's yard the little shadow had been like a curve of wind on the grass high in the air rose the cry a windy night and all clear a windy night and all clear and the night watchman his thoughts upon the toasted cheese that would in another half hour be his reward pressed round the corner of the cathedral four and jeremy ran on how he ran he stumbled nearly fell recovered himself felt no pain in his legs or side only fear 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 as he ran he was saying i must get back oh i must get back i must be home i must get back and did not know that he was saying anything at all then suddenly in the middle of grass lane he recovered himself and stood how still and quiet everything was a few stars were breaking through the clouds the rustling of the trees now was friendly and reassuring and there was a soft undertone in the air as though a thousand streams were running beneath his feet he stood panting loving to feel the stroke of the little wind against his hot cheek what was that that had frightened him whom could it have been but gradually the centre of interest was shifting the past was the past he had done what he had said he would do now for the future he shivered as it came to him in its full force then squared his shoulders and marched on he would meet whatever it might be and anyway he was going to school the day after tomorrow time moved quickly then he was soon passing the high school the world completely dead now on every side of him then there was his old friend the monument then the row of houses in which his own home stood he closed the garden gate very carefully behind him stole up the path found the ledge stone below the pantry window then felt for the ledge his heart ceased to beat the catch was fastened someone then had discovered his absence the house seemed to be dark and silent enough but they were lying in wait for him inside well he was going on with it now all that he wanted was the quiet and comfort of his room and to be warm and cosy again in bed he was suddenly quite horribly tired he pushed with his fingers between the ledges and found then that the catch was not securely fastened after all the upper part of the window suddenly jerked upwards moving awkwardly and with a creaking noise that he had not known before he pulled himself on to the window ledge then very carefully let himself down on the other side the first thing that he knew was that his feet touched a chair and there had been no chair there before then that his fingers were rubbing against the corner of a table 
he was not in their own pantry he was not in their own house he had climbed in through the wrong window and even as he realized this and moved in an agony of alarm back to climb out of the window again his arm brushed the table again he pushed something and with the noise of the niagara falls a thousand times emphasized echoing in his ears the china of all the pantries of heaven fell clattering to the ground five after that things happened quickly a light instantly cleaved the darkness and he saw an open door a candle held aloft and the strangest figure holding it at the same time a deep voice said stand just where you are move another step and i fire don't fire please said jeremy it's only me the figure confronting him was a woman's it was in fact quite easily to be recognized as that of miss lisbeth mackenzie who had lived next door to the coles for years and years and years ever since in fact jeremy could remember and waged like betsy trotwood incessant warfare on boys butchers and others who walked across her lawn whose only merit had been that she hated aunt amy and told her so she was an eccentric old woman eccentric in manners in habits and appearance but surely never in her life had she looked so eccentric as she did now with her white hair piled untidily on her head her old face of a crow pallid behind her hooked and piercing nose over her nightdress she had hurriedly gathered her bed-quilt a coat like joseph's of many and varied colours and on her feet were white woollen stockings in the hand that did not hold the candle she flourished a pistol that even to jeremy's unaccustomed and childish eyes was undoubtedly a very old and dusty one they must have been a queer couple to behold had there been any third person there to behold them the small boy dishevelled hatless his collar burst his stockings down over his ankles and the old woman in her patchwork quilt miss mackenzie having expected to behold a hirsute and ferocious burglar was considerably surprised she held the candle closer and then exclaimed why you're a little coal from next door yes said jeremy i thought this was our pantry and it was yours wait a minute i'm going to sneeze this he did and then hurried on breathlessly please let me go now and i'll come in to-morrow and explain everything and pay for the cups and saucers but i don't want them to know that i've been out here pick the bits up at once she said or somebody will be cutting themselves it's just like that maid having it out on the table that settles it she shall leave to-morrow she put down the candle and pistol on the table and then watched him while he picked up the pieces there were not very many and now please may i go said jeremy again i didn't mean to come into your house i didn't really i'll explain everything to-morrow no you won't said miss mackenzie grimly you'll explain here and now that's a pretty thing to come breaking into somebody's house after midnight and then thinking you can go out just as easily as you came in you can sit down she said as a kind of afterthought pointing to a chair it isn't anything really said jeremy very quickly i mean that it isn't anything you need mind they dared me to run around the cathedral twice when the clock struck twelve and i did it 
and ran home and climbed into your house by mistake who's they asked miss mackenzie gathering her quilt more closely about her uh bill bartlett and ernest sampson he said as though that must tell her everything the dean's son you know and i don't like him so when he dares me to anything i must do it you see i don't see it all said miss mackenzie it was a very wicked and silly thing to do there are plenty of people i don't like but i don't run around the cathedral just to please them oh i didn't run around just to please him jeremy said indignantly i don't want to please him of course but he said that i wouldn't do it and he would whereas as a matter of fact i did and he didn't as a matter of fact picked up from the drawing-room was just then a very favourite phrase of his well you'll get it hot from your father said miss mackenzie when he knows about it oh but perhaps he won't know said jeremy eagerly the house looks all dark and perhaps hamlet didn't wake up hamlet repeated miss mackenzie uh, yes that's my dog oh that hateful dog that sometimes looks through the railings into my garden as though he would like to come in and tear up all my flowers he'd better try that's all he isn't hateful said jeremy he's a splendid dog he had a fight a little while ago and was nearly killed but he didn't care he just grinned he won't grin if i get a hold of him said miss mackenzie now what are you going to do about it when your father knows you've been out like this oh he mustn't know said jeremy you're not going to tell him are you of course i am said miss mackenzie i can't have little boys climbing into my house after midnight and then do nothing about it oh please please said jeremy don't do anything this time i promise never to do it again it would be dreadful if father knew it's so important that the holiday should end well they began so badly you won't tell him will you of course i will said miss mackenzie first thing in the morning i shall ask him to whip you and allow me to be present during the ceremony there's nothing that i love like seeing little boys whipped especially naughty little boys for a moment jeremy thought that she meant it then he caught sight of her twinkling eye no you won't he said confidently you're just trying to frighten me but i'm not frightened i go back to school day after tomorrow so they can't do much anyway if i let you off she said you've got to promise me something you've got to promise me that you'll come and read to me twice every day during next holidays <gasps> oh lord jeremy couldn't be quite sure whether she meant it or not how awful if she did mean it still a bargain was a bargain he looked at her carefully she seemed very old she might die before next holidays all right he said i promise i don't read very well you know all the better practice for you she answered her eye mysteriously twinkled above the bed quilt she let him go then even assisting him from behind out of the pantry window he had a look and a smile at her before he dropped on the other side she looked so queer with her crabbed face and untidy hair under the jumping candle she nodded to him grimly soon he was at his own window and through it not a sound in the house he crept up the stairs the same wild snore met him rumbling like the sleeping soul of the house everything the same 
to him all those terrors and alarms and they had slept as though it had been one moment of time he opened his own door hamlet's even whining breath met him not much of a watchdog never mind how tired he was how tired he flung off his clothes stood for a moment to feel the cold air on his naked body then his nightshirt was over his head the bed was lovely 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 only as he sank down a silver slope into a sea of red and purple leaves a thought went sliding with him the dean's earnest had funked it the dean's earnest had funked it let us never forget let us plunk End of chapter 6